This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. My name's Howard, uh, uh, I'm uh, the leader of the church here. You're probably thinking when I uh, uh, talk about this morning that you're probably thinking, oh my word, I wish I hadn't come this morning. It is pretty hard hitting. Uh, We're just going through a series, we're going through a series called uh, Seven uh, Days That Changed the World and we're on Monday. We're working towards Good Friday, Easter Sunday, uh, as we get to that Easter season and we're on Monday. Uh, So uh, I want to just ask you the question, what gets you angry? But here's the question, what gets Jesus angry? Well, he doesn't get angry with anything, does he? Because you probably think, well, Jesus is this long-haired hippie, you know, who, who never gets mad at anything, never challenges any behavior, you know, just kind of walks through life with 21st century tolerance, just letting everything go. You often hear on radio programs, people say, hey, that's not really Christian. Jesus kind of just loves everybody and just lets everything go. And that might be one way you think, oh, Jesus never gets mad. Some of you, there might be a smaller minority who think, hey, Jesus is angry all the time. You know, he's part of that kind of intolerant God who's totally ticked off with you all the time. He's totally watching you and getting you, you know, he knows if you've been good or bad, so it'll be good for goodness sake because he's going to point the finger and judge you. Maybe you've got him in that category. And I don't think actually Jesus, refu- Jesus refuses our simple categories of, you know, he gets mad with anything, he's mad all the time. But actually we're going to find as we go through this story, we're going to find what g- does get him mad. But it's interesting what doesn't get him mad. He doesn't get mad when he's been crucified. You know, I mean, he, he, he's, he's falsely accused and he doesn't raise his voice. The soldiers hit him over the head and spit in his face. He's not getting mad. They're mocking him and scourging him and crucifying him. Where people would have, have normally shouted out in anger at people passing by uh, when they were being crucified. Jesus doesn't open his mouth in anger. Now you spit in my face, it could get a little tense. You know, you slap me around where we're in trouble. I'm from Yorkshire. Outside, please. But not Jesus. He's not like that at all. He's brutalized and hanging on the cross, and he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That doesn't, you know, if that doesn't get Jesus mad, what, what does get Jesus mad? Oh, there, we're there. Good. He's not moved by the anger of the injustice of his crucifixion. But yet we're going to find here on the Monday after Palm Sunday... What gets Jesus mad? So let's read uh, Mark 11, uh, verse 9 to 21, um, and uh, we'll see how we roll. The crowd went ahead, so this is just the end of what Christopher brought last week. The crowd went ahead and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus went, uh, went into Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if there was any fruit. 
When he reached it, he found there was nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He would not allow anyone to carry sacrifices or merchandises through the temple courts. And he taught them. He said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. I pray, Jesus, as we look at this passage, where unexpectedly, but perhaps not unsurprisingly, you, you angry. Lord, in your anger you didn't sin, but yet you were angry. And I pray, Lord, as we find ourselves in this story, that, Lord, you help us to be those that live to please you. Help us to hear your assessments over us and to find our life and fruitfulness in you. Amen. So, as we said, that Jesus refuses the categories. So, as he's coming into Jerusalem, uh, as Christopher said last week, you know, they're expecting this dead raising, conquering king, uh, uh, but he comes humble and riding a donkey. He's refusing the categories. And it seems like there's a, the crowd are cheering, and I suspect they're hoping for some kind of revolution. Uh, they're hoping as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the capital city of the province uh, of Palestine, that there's going, to be a, there's going to be a revolution. This is a guy that can raise the dead. He's certainly going to be able to kick, butt, kick out the Romans. There's definitely going to be that kind of thing. But interestingly, what we find as we pick up the story is nothing happens. It's like this massive anticlimax. You know, Jesus is riding in on this donkey. Everyone's expecting uh, the transformation. The Jews are probably all in intense anticipation. He goes into the temple, and all he does is look around. He just looks around. He doesn't seem angry with the Roman occupation. He doesn't seem angry with the things that made the Jews incredibly angry. But he just looks around. He looks around surveying the temple. If, you'd, uh, uh, if you ever went, could go to the temple, this is a model, by the way. You can go and see it if you go to Jerusalem. It's actually destroyed in AD 70. Uh, but this is a model. And basically the outer court where you can see the colonnades is about the size of five football pitches. And there was a, a, a gate at the, the, the front of the temple. And outside that gate, where you can see the little ramp at the front, there'd be uh, the blind, the crippled, the lame, people that were considered by the, the leaders of the temple, the Jewish leaders, that they, they were unfit to come inside. They'd be outside on that ramp. And in fact, we hear in Acts that uh, Peter and uh, John go into the uh, temple and meet a guy on that ramp and heal him. And then as they went into that court with all the colonnades, they were called Solomon's colonnades, uh, they would, um, there'd be this massive area which was actually called the court of the nations or the court of the Gentiles. And in this court of the Gentiles, there, were, there, was, um, there was this massive market going on. It was full of thousands and thousands of sheep. And um, uh, right at the edge of it, you can't really see it on this picture, but before that central building, there was a little low wall 
And on that low wall uh, was the inscription, no foreigner may pass here under pain of death. So, the, so the, 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 the Gentiles or the people that weren't Jews were kept in that outer court and Jesus observes that outer court uh, and he sees obviously lots of animals and stuff like that and ready for sacrifices. And then if, if you went further in, you get through the next gate uh, and that was called uh, the gate beautiful and they would, that would be the court of the women. So the women could go in there. And then if you went through the, the next gate before the big uh, uh, central temple, you could, Jewish men could go there. And then there was another uh, uh, an area where the priests could go. And Jesus sees this, uh, this kind of the temple as he surveys the temple. And he's looking in this middle area, about the size of five football pitches. And he's seeing what would happen is tables were set up and they were kind of basically changing money. So you had to give your money with, with temple tax. So basically, so like here, we do the offering and say, okay, now you can't give sterling or dollars or whatever you want to do. You have to change the money and, and give it in God-first money. And then you can put that money into the pot. And obviously, the exchange rate for that money was, was pretty high. And people were making... So you've got this kind of bureau de change going on where people are making a killing as people traded in their, their, their Roman money for temple money because obviously, we couldn't have the Roman money because that was uh, definitely not allowed. And then there'd be these flocks and herds, and people would come, and they would come with their sacrifices. This is Passover, so you've probably got... You, there's probably 250,000 sheep were sacrificed at Passover. It's crazy. There were these flocks and herds, and people would bring their flocks, and they'd say, okay, I've brought my little lamb from, from back home to sacrifice. And they'd say, oh, sorry, you can't sell him. You can't have him. He's a little bit damaged, a little bit uh, uh, blemished. You need to buy one of mine. I've got one here that's perfectly blemished, uh, perfectly unblemished, and you could buy that, and obviously it's a high exchange rate. So then their little lamb would go into the pen, and then that would become the unblemished lamb. And there's a little bit of a racket going on. And, um, and so we're not talking about small numbers here. We're talking about thousands of, of, of lambs and stuff. And then I suspect that in the middle of this chaos, this kind of sirencester cattle market, you've got one or two Gentiles trying to pray. They're on their knees. Maybe they're kind of there's noisy chaos. There's people bringing bringing their lambs across and taking them through the gate and up the ramp and into the area with the altar. And there's there's hundreds of priests kind of sacrificing these lambs. And there's just one or two little Gentiles um, praying. Jesus surveys the temple and does nothing. It says uh, uh, at evening, at sunset, he, he leaves Jerusalem. He, he, he goes out across the valley, almost the way he'd come previously that morning, uh, 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 or the, the day before on Palm Sunday, he'd come through, uh, sorry, he'd come through on Palm Sunday, so Sunday night he leaves Jerusalem. Goes to stay with his friends Martha and Mary. The following morning, it seems like Jesus has got up in a bad mood. You know, he's, he's, he's got up, he's missed his breakfast, you know, and he's, um, he's wanting some, some figs to eat from the tree, you know, and he's like, he, he kind of goes to the tree, sees the tree, fig tree over in the distance, and he gets rumbling around in the leaves, and he's like, well, there's no figs here. Now, actually, interestingly, John says, um, it's not the time for figs. So you think, Jesus, are you crazy? What are you doing looking for figs in this tree when it's not the time for figs? And it says, like, Jesus then seems to get really angry and says, that's it, tree. Your day's up. No one's going to eat from you again. You're done. And the disciples kind of heard him and thought, this is kind of weird, isn't it? It's not like him. What's going on here? They don't ask him. 
Elsewhere it says, I heard that, that, that they, Jesus told them later, I hope you learn the lesson from the fig tree. But they just saw that and they what was all that about? So this is Monday morning. He goes into the temple. Mark says it this way. He says, next day they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to find if there was any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it's not the season for, for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. It's interesting, we need a little bit of a horticultural lesson here just to understand what Jesus is doing because he's not looking for figs when they wouldn't be there. What happens is, if, if you do a little bit of reading around, um, but anyway, there's the, if, what would happen is, if you take a fig tree, I'm told, and you harvest the figs, um, what would happen in, 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 after the harvesting the figs, the leaves would drop off. And then over the kind of winter time, these really small buds uh, would, would uh, develop uh, where the leaves had been. And those buds would develop and to a point where, I think I've got, got a, like, a, I'm not quite sure it's the, that size, I couldn't find the really small ones, but they get these little small, almost like br- blueberry-sized buds uh, that you could eat who were really tasty, these early buds. And then what would happen is these leaves would then develop, and if you left these buds on the tree, they'd become figs. So it was the season for buds, for edible buds, but not for figs. So Jesus obviously is, uh, is hungry, and he goes looking for these really tasty kind of blueberry-type berries in, in the tree, and there's nothing there. The tree has all the signs and the promise of fruit. It's got leafy branches, but underneath, there's no fruitfulness. It's got all the signs of life, but underneath, there's no fruit. The growth without fruit for a fig tree is not a sign of life, but a sign of something wrong in the roots. The buds of early fruit should have been there, and they're missing. Basically, the fig tree is a fraud. It's a leaf tree masquerading as a fig tree. It's not a fig tree. It's not bearing figs. These are no little buds that are going to become figs. It's just a leaf tree. Its fruitless state is unnatural against God's order of creation. So that's one thing, that's the horticultural lesson. What about the Bible lesson? Uh, obviously, we, I say this often, we live in a time where we don't really know our Bibles real well because there's so much junk out there. Uh, there's so much stuff to read that we don't really read our Bibles so much. And so we don't know our Bibles very well. We know lots, about, lots, of, lots of stuff about not much, but we don't know a lot about what really matters. But in the Jewish culture, there wasn't much. There wasn't much to read, much around. People knew the Bible. And so what happens, they would have probably got the imagery of what a fig tree is all about. Um, let me just give you some help here. So the fig tree in the, it, it was the sign in the prophets, that's the, the, the people that speak God's word in the Old Testament, uh, was actually Israel was a fig tree. Hosea 9 records God saying, when I found Israel, it was like seeing the, oh there it is, early fruit on a fig tree. So what happens is that, that, that God is saying that when I found my people, it was like those, they were like those t- tasty early fruit on a fig tree. And I delighted in that. But also a fig tree without fruit stood for, for, for God's judgment. It stood for like there's something wrong here. Actually, no, before I say that, it, actually the, the, often you'd find if you read the Old Testament, if you Google this phrase, everybody sat under their own vine under their own fig tree. 
It was a sign like when God's blessing the people, there was fruit on the vine, figs on the tree, cattle in the stall. You find this fruitful fig trees means God's blessing you. Flip it over then. Fig trees without fruit were signs of God's judgment. It says in Jeremiah 8.13, it says, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree. And their leaves will wither. What I've given them or what they had will be taken away or blown away. So fig trees were this sense of judgment. And also, maybe they didn't think about this, but right at the beginning of the story, you get fig leaves uh, 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 without developing it too far. But obviously, when Adam and Eve first rejected God and sinned, they uh, were kind of ashamed. They said they, they, they were, knew they were naked and they were ashamed. They were ashamed of their sin. And they tried to make pathetic attempts to cover up their shame with fig leaves. We've been doing that ever since, haven't we? make pathetic attempts with fig leaves to cover up what we're really like. And so we've got to understand horticulturally this idea about early fruit, but we've got to understand this, this, that the fig tree stands for blessing and fruitlessness. So it's interesting that, that if, if, if God comes and his people are a fig tree, what is he going to find when he comes looking for early fruit? Why are we all leafy and no fruit? You might expect that with people who are, who are not Christians. You might expect them to be all presenting life and busy and happy. And here's my Facebook page and Instagram and here's all my life. But the bottom line is, if you go looking, there's a, a fruitlessness. You might think, well, I'd expect that. As a Christian, with a Christian worldview, you might expect that. But actually, the challenge here is actually that, that God's come looking at his people. He comes looking at his fig tree for fruit and finds only leaves. The tragedy, I think I put it here, I don't know. The tragedy is so often God's people, the churches, look all leafy and full of life. But when Jesus examines us, no fruit. I say this to myself as much to, to us. No godly character produced out of intimate closeness to God. No fruit of obedient holiness. No fruit of missional endeavor. No fruit of care for the poor. No heart beating for the things that God desires. No zeals for God's house consuming us. Sadly, we masquerade as fruitful, hiding behind our deceptive leaves. But no love, no joy, no peace, no patience, no kindness, no gentleness, no self-control, no fruit. Jesus comes to the fig tree looking for fruit and sees a fake. And he calls it for what it is. He says, no one's going to eat from you again. It's not a curse on it. I think Peter gets it wrong in this sense. It's not a curse on it. It's a statement of fact. There's no life here. No one's going to eat from you again because there's no fruit. The disciples must have scratched their head and thought, hmm, what's going on here? Maybe they didn't, maybe they did, but then we see there's a lesson from the fig tree that's going to be presented really big and large. 
Let's read on. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple court and began suddenly driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and wouldn't let anyone carry their sacrifices through the temple court. And he taught them and he says, Is it not written, My house, my house, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. That phrase a house of prayer for all nations comes from Isaiah. But Jesus adds, my house. My house will be called a house of prayer. You'd expect Jesus to be totally at home when he comes to his house, wouldn't you? You know the story from Sunday school that Jesus is 12 years old and his, his parents have taken him down like to the, to kind of the, 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 the new wine festival, soul survival week. He's 12, he's gone there and he's had a great time. And then they set off back home with the whole crowd and whatever. And then Mary and Joseph after, I mean three days, I mean if you think you're a bad parent. <laughs> three days then they, Mary says to Joseph, where's, where's Jesus? Like, I thought he was with you. Come on, Joseph, get with the program. No, he's not. I thought he was with you, Mary. You can, you, if this was how to Naomi, I thought it was with you. It's your fault. You, you know, there's a little bit of tension here. And so they go, oh, my word. They've gone three days' journey. And they say, where is it? They're asking the kids, asking everyone. They say, well, let's go back. We retrace our steps. Anyway, and they find Jesus in the temple playing Bible trivia with, the, uh, with all the chief priests and scribes. And they're going, man, this guy, smoking. He is, knows all the answers. Well, who taught him? You know, they say, they say, oh, it's never seen a kid like this. Joseph's thinking, mm-hmm, that's my boy. <laughs> Jesus was right at home. They get him on one side and say, look, where have you been? Why have you treated us like this? Don't you know we've been worried, sick, looking for you? Jesus replies, cool. Don't you know I've been my father's house? You'd expect Jesus, when he comes to his house, to be right at home feel totally familiar. But yet when he gets to the temple, that's not what he finds. Jesus is incensed, he's angry, he's moved to turn everything over that they've put there in his name. He's shouting and kicking over tables, he's scattering coins, he's releasing caged doves, he's opening sheep pens, he's forcefully driving out the, uh, the, the traders. It said he made a whip and he's, get out! What is this? He stops the sacrifices coming through. Stop, no, stop, 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 stop. Stop bringing that fruit. What do we, what do you, no, no, but I want to come sacrifice. No, stop. Enough. Jesus goes to the temple looking for fruit, just finds leaves. Just finds busy leaves. How would, I mean, I don't want to ask this question. <laughs> How would God react if he came here? You think, man, he'd be right at home at God first because we are a great church. Look, we're almost filling the lower hall now, Jesus. <laughs> you know, look at us. Aren't we lovely and friendly? You know, surely look at all the, oh, got all the leaves. How would God respond if he worked into, walked into some church buildings and cathedrals? How many places that claim legitimacy and allegiance to Jesus would cause him to rise up and be angry? Quite a lot, perhaps. 
Jesus' judgment on the fig tree's deceptive fruitfulness, he now declares on the temple masquerade of spiritual life. Yes, there's loads of busy activity, but there's no fruit. John records Jesus clearing the temple and it says, Zeal, for my house consumes me. In this situation, he quotes, as I said, Isaiah 56, verse 7. It says, My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus comes looking round. What does he expect to find? He's got a market trading going on. He's expect to find a praying community. But if you double-click on Isaiah... I could have given you the whole book, but just let me give you some tastes. The first chapter uh, has these words. The multitude of your temple sacrifices, says God, what are they to me? Stop bringing your meaningless offerings. Bangs it home, 29, 13. These people come near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oh, Jesus. Jesus comes looking for a praying community. He just finds leaves. He finds nothing. One one writer put it, prayer is the proof and privilege of sonship. The children of God pray. The absence of prayer life, I challenge myself on this, not prayers spoken to impress others as mere foliage, but the, the, the prayer life that thirsts for the heart of God, the, the prayer life that opens our life to Him and says, Jesus, I need you. Prayer life that says, all that you are, I, all that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I take from you. That delicious fruit that, that, that relies on Jesus, Jesus comes looking for it in this, in this community and He doesn't find it. He would find prayer in a community that's truly his, but he finds nothing. There's plenty of noisy lips, but their hearts are far from God. The fig leaves of religious ritual and sacrifice are there, but the people are just going through the motions. There's no fruit. The people attend their temple and brought the appropriate sacrifices, but did not bring their hearts to God. Somehow people had forgotten that the sacrifices, that some people had forgotten, they felt the rituals were a way to f- say that they're in, to make them feel included. But that was not the end point. The cross of Jesus is not the end point. The sacrifices are not just the end point. It's to go in and know him, to go in and enter his presence, to go and be in that holy of holy place with him. For all their religious activities, they were functional atheists. What's a functional atheist? I told you it was enjo- you're enjoying this. <laughs> Man, it does get better. We do lift out of this at the end. But functional atheists, I ask myself this question. What is a functional atheist? They do life to all intents and purposes, but is no different from those who live without God. How they make their decisions, how they run their family, how they love their wives and children, how they spend their money, what they do with their time, what what matters to them. To all intents and purposes, it's as if God didn't exist. They're functional atheists. There's not one area of their lives in these temple people where they trusted him, where they risked for him, where they were lost without him. There's no faith in God, only the deceptive leaves of religion that deceives 
only themselves. But Jesus isn't just making a, a point about prayer, and I hope you all feel, oh, I better come to the prayer meeting. That wasn't my intention, but I thought, oh, that's handy. We've got a prayer meeting tonight. Maybe we can pack my kitchen out. You know, don't come just legalistically. Don't come as a leaf exercise. But, you know, you might want to come pray. But actually, I don't think Jesus is just looking for prayer here. He's looking for the, the, the fruit of the encounter. He's looking for fruit of the encounter, and that is the missional heart of God. Let me buzz quickly into this. If we double-click Isaiah 56, remember verse 7, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. If you double-click this, let's, let's, let's get some verses. Keep justice. Do righteousness. For my salvation will soon come. I mean, how true on the Monday before Good Friday. And my deliverance will be revealed. Blessed is the man. Who's the man? Not you. Jesus, who does this, the Son of Man who holds it fast, who holds righteousness and going to bring salvation. And as I goes on, he says, let no Gentile, no foreigner who commits himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let not the eunuch, interesting image, say, I am a lifeless, withered tree. I'm fruitless. He says to the foreigner, to the, to the fruitless one, to them I give my temple and its walls. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others besides those already gathered. Jesus is not just ticked off because there's no prayer. He's ticked off because actually that the very people that God wants to draw are excluded. Their religious meetings have excluded the very people that God wants to include. And it's funny, you'd have expected the Messiah when he comes into Jerusalem to drive out the foreigners. That was the whole thing. That's the revolution. Let's get rid of the unclean foreigners. Let's get rid of the, the unclean ones. We'll, we'll just have it just for us. You'd have expected the Messiah would purge the temple of Gentile foreigners. Yet here is Jesus clearing the temple for the excluded. Jesus is an advocate for the excluded. He's standing up for those outside God's people. Jesus even stops the sacrificial system so there's space for them to come. The Jews thought the heart of God was to keep the unclean people out. But actually the heart of God is to draw the unclean people in. The sacrificial system was not to make them feel smug Christian Jews, whatever, but to make the unrighteous clean and welcome them in. How many times are we like that? How many times do we go through our church routine and we think we're doing the spiritual stuff, but it just leaves because out there, and I'm speaking this to myself, out there there's people that are hungry for Jesus and we've kept them at the gate, we've kept them at a distance. This place is to be a house of prayer for those that don't come. Matthew's account of this incident says the excluded come streaming in. I love the picture. He kind of clears this space. Get out, get out, get out, stop. And then suddenly it says, Matthew says that the lame and the blind uh, 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 kept coming in. The ones who were right at the gate suddenly think, whoa, I'm invited in. They come at the temple. They come at Jesus. It says the blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple and he healed them. 
But when the chief priests and the fleefy little teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children, man, shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were furious. What are we like? Religious people, what are we like? The outsiders come bursting in, and we say, I'm furious. I, 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 I know, I hope this isn't this church. But I've known churches that like, what we, we don't want those people in. We, we don't want that sort of person. We don't want to change. We, we, we're perfectly happy with the way we do things. We don't want those people in. You might not say it, but that's how they act. I remember one time, I, I was on, my last time I was on sabbatical, so it's many years ago, if you can see the worry lines. I went to a church, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll try and look like an unbeliever. So I didn't carry a big Bible and go and say hi to everyone at the welcome table and name drop all the people I knew, which would have been kind of leafy, wouldn't it? Uh, but I went in and just thought, I'll just kind of look like a sinner. I don't know what they did, but I thought I'd wear a leather jacket, look cool. <laughs> and I thought, when they go have communion, I, I'm not going to go. So it was shocking. What happened is, no one spoke to me the whole way through. Sorry if your visitors, no one speak to you. I will come and speak to you. But no one spoke to you the whole way through. And then when they're having communion, they're like, excuse, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And they go and have communion. And they, excuse me. You never been to a church like that? Maybe it's this one. Oh, we're getting along with our sacrificial system, but the people are supposed to be included. Okay, I was pretending. Maybe they had wiser discernment and thought, this guy's a fake, he's a pastor, just checking us. The blind and the lame come piling in, and the, the people who feel this is their, their place say, no. But God's salvation, we're nearly landing here, God's salvation must not will not be contained. God's salvation will not be contained. It must burst out in fruitfulness. A fig leaf that has leaves but no fruit. A temple with sacrifices that excludes outsiders from meeting God. Churches with all their green leaves of religious activity that have no desire for Him all receive the same assessment. May no one eat fruit from you again. We think as we look around at our young demographic that this isn't us. But if we age and enjoy our own fellowship and feel isn't this great, and we don't feel the desire to seek God and say, I need you, and the desire to push out in mission, there's hundreds of churches, and I'm not against old people, I am one of them. There's hundreds of churches that are full of old people that decided somewhere along the line that they, weren't, they didn't bother. And they're just going smaller and smaller, and the buildings are empty and empty. And no one's going to eat fruit from them again. Let's finish as we land here. Jesus separates himself from the city, doesn't he? He says, Mark says, when evening came... Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. It's almost like they symbolically leave the temple. Jesus said itself elsewhere, if you feel no life, shake the dust and go. 
next morning, they're going back to Jerusalem, the guys, and they, they notice the fig tree. And it's withered from its roots. It's withered from its roots. And Peter says, it, hey, look, it's withered. But the lesson from the fig tree was the temple. The roots of the temple were rotten. Its days were over. Jesus is declaring the temple... The religious structure was no longer where sacrifice was sin was made and forgiveness received. The temple was no longer the place of worship where God welcomed people into his presence. The temple was no longer a place of righteousness and justice. The temple was no longer the place of fruitfulness because he was the new temple. He was the new temple. He says, if you want fruitfulness, come to me. You go there and you will not find fruitfulness, but you come to me, you will find fruitfulness. Jesus is declaring his broken body. Is that temple that divided and that curtain in the temple that divided and kept everybody out. Jesus' body is broken, and his broken body says, Come in. God's coming out. He says, Come in, come meet with me. The cross of Jesus was the place where forgiveness of sins was found. The cross of Jesus was the one where he welcomed the broken and exclusive. He said, uh, excluded, he says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus is now the one who welcomes the broken. Jesus is the one who, who the whole nations gather to. Jesus hanging on a tree bears the curse of our fruitfulness. But raising from the dead... He promises a fruitfulness. When God comes looking for fruit, He wants something, a church, a people rooted in Him. He wants ones delighting in His Word, feeding His Gospel, abiding in Him. Let me, I could have done a whole sermon on it, I won't, but I'll just give you two tasters. Where are you rooted? Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one or the man or the woman who's Delight is in the word of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. You know, I'll meditate on Twitter and Facebook, and I'm a doing with the word of the Lord. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he do does is blessed. You want, if you feel withered up, you've got to root yourself in him. You've got to feed on his word. You've got to drink deeply from you says, You're planted by the rivers of life. You've got to say, it's Jesus, it's you that I want. If you know that if, some, if Jesus came looking in your life and just found leafy Christian stuff, but no real fruit, it's him that you need. Jesus comes to the fig tree hungry, looking for fruit, we come to the table hungry. We come to Jesus' broken body and shed blood. We come hungry and say, I need this. I need to take this in to be fruitful. John 15, a whole brilliant chapter. Read it for yourself. Jesus says, I am the vine. Okay, it would have been great if it was a fig tree, but he doesn't. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me or dwells in me or makes his home with me and me and him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you're fruitless. If you feel, man, this is heavy. The 
invitation is come and be fruitful. Come and be fruitful. Come and take and eat of Jesus and be fruitful. Come and say that without you can do nothing. Come and say, I need to pray till I've got my heart. My heart beats with what his beats. I'm going to fill my life with his word, meditate on it day and night so I'm fruitful. I'm going to make my home with him so I bear much fruit. And you know why? Because the, every day when you go to work, you're like a little fig tree. You can try that on your boss's next on Monday and say, oh, you know, I'm a little fig tree. You're like a little fig tree and you know, under all the, I go to church or I do this and that, sometimes, someday, someone in your life is going to come looking for fruit. They're going to look for those little tasty berries of God's life in you. They're going to taste and see that God is good. We don't want them to go away and say, you know, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. We want to drink and eat and meditate on him. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.